I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Anderson, too much deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for crowder 85 yards pass thrown there was contact with the quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on prescott it was adams who came blitzing in he'll hit immediately when he got the handoff you know and that's <laughs> the q oh my gosh listen thank you from the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One, and I'm joined to talk about one of the four tackles that everybody has been talking about as far as who the Jets might draft at number 11, and that is Iowa tackle Tristan Wirfs. And to talk about him, somebody who knows him well and has covered him, and also has put together some incredible videos, including a really awesome interview that he did with not only Tristan Wirfs, but his mom, just to tell the story of his background and his upbringing. We'll talk about how you can watch that later. It was so good. I can't say enough about it, and I love all the work that he's done in terms of really bringing the story of Tristan Wirfs, the person, to the forefront, as opposed to just the football player, because the football player is part of what you're getting. The person is the entirety of what you're getting. So Adam Rosso, who reports for the local CBS affiliate in the Quad Cities and also for Hawkeye HQ. Adam, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. You bet. I'm excited. Excited to talk some Hawkeyes. And of course, uh, Tristan, as you said, just a, just a great dude. So let's let's get to it. So the first thing I always ask is, when I say the name Tristan Wirfs, what pops into your head immediately? Honestly, his his videos and like his ability, I don't know if you guys have seen it, like they had a TikTok video and then there was a video of him from a couple years ago. Like he's had a couple of these videos where he's doing something ridiculous athletically. Like he was jumping out of the shallow end of a pool mm-hmm. up onto the deck of a pool. And like if you think about how much water resistance and gravity there is, that's incredible. And then he had one where he's laying flat in his kitchen on his back and he basically kicks himself up into a, you know, into a squat, into a seated position. And then obviously there was the one where he's uh, power cleaning or hang cleaning, what, 450 pounds, four times, breaking the Iowa uh, power clean record that uh, I think Brandon Sheriff had. So just all that, just those, those three videos of his just raw power, I think, in, in different situations, some lighthearted, some obviously doing work in the weight room. That, that's definitely what pops into my head. Absolute physical freak, too, right? Because in high school, he was all-world in track as far as discus. He was well-known for his ability to play baseball, football, wrestling. There really wasn't a sport this guy couldn't play. Maybe badminton, I guess. He, he might have been good at that, too. You know, <laughs> there, there, he, uh, I mentioned a couple times when he was, 
he's one of those kids where he's on the travel baseball team and he's, you know, he's in seventh grade and he's six, three and, and 250 pounds. And everybody's asking for his birth certificate. He's that type of kid where he just was <laughs> always been the biggest guy on every team. And yeah, like you said, once he got into high school, he excelled at, at the field events and track. So he's winning state titles and shot put state titles and discus. Um, obviously, you know, his, his football pedigree enough to be recruited and, and you know, offer a scholarship at Iowa. And then on the wrestling mat, he, he took up wrestling. I think it was, you know, about that time, junior high or middle schoolish. And, you know, he, he didn't necessarily know how to use his size and his body. And there's a story where I think he's, uh, was either wrestling with or just talking to uh, Matt Kroll, who was a former Iowa Hawkeye, and they were sparring or, you know, kind of grappling um, in practice. And he did the move on Kroll, who, you know, was 10 years older than him. And he said, whatever you just did right there, do that every time. Like he put him on his back or, or did something to Matt Kroll, who's a division one, and I believe an NFL player for, for a handful of years. And, he, he did something physically that it's like the light clicked and then he, you know, won a state title in, in Iowa high school wrestling, which obviously is huge. So just been a kind of a, a guy that no matter what he does uh, athletically, he seems to, to figure it out and, and have success, you know, at the, at the highest level. And he's talked a lot about how being good at wrestling helped prepare him to be a really good offensive lineman, right? Yeah, he said it at the combine. He said it during the year. Um, at one point this past year, I think all five or four or five of Iowa's offensive line starters were um, had wrestled in their respective state tournaments wherever they were from. So that's definitely a trait that um, Kirk Ferentz and the entire staff has looked for, especially in, in offensive and defensive linemen. They like the guys that um, kind of have the feel for how to use their body in tight spaces. I mean, you think about wrestling – the hand-to-hand fighting, just your hand placement, the way you have to distribute weight and kind of feel the opponent. It's a, you know, it's a push-pull. It's just like blocking. It's it's a push-pull. You know, the moves that you use in the trenches are the same moves you use on the wrestling mat. So he's definitely he talked about that a lot. And I, I think um, in general, that's something that that the Iowa program has leaned toward is finding the guys that not only does it teach you, you know, how to feel your body and how to kind of work in tight corridors but obviously wrestling is a very individual sport at a certain level like it's you and the other guy on the mat and um, when you're blocking an offensive or on defensive lineman it's the same thing right it's you versus the other guy I mean you may be chipping maybe you're double teaming maybe you're scooping whatever but at the end of the day it's it's a very similar mindset and a similar mentality that you need to have and that's definitely a reason that Obviously, Tristan, you know, excelled at Iowa, the only um, true freshman to ever start at, at tackle on the offensive line for, for Kirk Ferentz. And you know how, how long Kirk has worked with the offensive linemen. So he, he's had it from the beginning. And like I said, I think his growth here at Iowa um, is probably a precursor for things to come here in the NFL. I was going to say, when you're talking about a state that eventually became home to arguably the greatest American wrestler of all time in Kale Sanderson, and you're talking about a state that has the Militich boys, there's some fierce competition there in terms of wrestling. If you told me they put Kale Sanderson on his back, I was going to drive down to Florham Park and beg <laughs> Joe Douglas to trade up with this guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, Kale was just here with Penn State. Penn State just wrestled Iowa this year. When was that? January? So... He's still Kale's still in great shape. He looks like he could still throw a few guys down on the mat. So I wouldn't want to mess with Sanders mm-hmm. either. But you know, worse is kind of in that class. I would say as a, just an elite um, physical specimen. 
I certainly wouldn't want to mess with Tristan Wirfs or Kale Sanderson. So I'll let other people do that. But I will say this about Tristan Wirfs. I think that in addition to the physical battles and from your video and other articles that have been written about him, it seems like there have been a lot of other battles in his life. And you told this story in your video that I think everybody should watch. It talks about his upbringing with a single mother in Iowa and the obstacles that he had to overcome. So, Adam, can you tell his story a little bit just so people get an understanding of what he went through growing up as a child and then as a teenager? Yeah, yep. So um, from he's from a small town of uh, Mount Vernon, Iowa, which is about you know, 20, 25 minutes from Iowa City where the University of Iowa is at. And um, him and his sister, uh, Kalia, they, they were born to the same um, father, obviously, mom and dad. And then at a certain point, uh, dad left, was, was not in the picture anymore. And um, his mom, Sarah, raised the, the two of the kids um, by herself, basically. And, and the dad has been really out of the picture ever since. He's checked in every once in a while, but it's basically been the three of them from um, when Tristan was, I want to say, you know, less than school age, so four or five years old. And, you know, they, they don't come from a, a ton of uh, a ton of wealth or a ton of money. But the one thing that I think was apparent um, in doing the story was how strong Sarah's family on that side is. Um, they have multiple, multiple levels of um, relatives that helped out, whether it was aunts and uncles, grandma, um, siblings, just different people that, that made sure Tristan and his sister were always taken care of, always felt, feel loved because actually his mom has continued. She still to this day works at target. She's worked at target, um, in, uh, Cedar Rapids for, I want to say 20, 25 years or so, like started on the floor and now she's some sort of manager, but she's never stopped working. She worked when she was pregnant with both of them. Um, and you know, her, her mom, Tristan's grandma would have to stay with them while she was at work. Um, they grew up in trailer parks to begin with, and then they ended up moving and, and getting a house um, when, when Tristan was, I believe, in, in kindergarten or first grade. So not the easiest life. And then as it progressed, um, you know, he, he's kind of come to terms with it. Uh, she, being his mom, has given him the option kind of to, you want to connect with your dad? Do you want to reach out? Like, how much do you want? Um, and part of the story is that, you know, Tristan at a certain point when he saw other people you know, their friends playing with their dads or their dads were coaching them in, in the youth sports that eventually he just said, you know what, if, if he doesn't want to be here, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want him to be a part of my life. And that's kind of the, the realization that he said he came to, um, you know, that's the basis of my story. But then after that, it's, it's basically been, you know, his mom and, and her siblings and the extended family just supporting Tristan everywhere, whether it's you know, the wrestling tournament or, the track meets or taking him to different camps or down to the Under Armour All-Star game in San Antonio that he was a part of coming out of high school. So just a really impressive family and, and just tighten in. And I, like I said um, to you before we started, just a, a small town through and through, like he's, he's the pride of Mount Vernon, Iowa. And he, he, you know, it's not a very big place, but kind of the face for everybody and everybody's kind of living through him. So it's a, it's definitely a cool story. And, you know, he, some of the best conversations that we would have when you're covering them would be just about random stuff. Like at the uh, Outback Bowl uh, two years ago, not this past uh, January, but January of 2019, he's in, we're in Tampa and they're on the beach. So we're talking and I did a story on some of the different guys and their tattoos and the meanings behind them. And he actually, while he was in Tampa for the bowl game, 
went and got a tattoo to honor his mom. And he's like, I don't even know if she knows, but I guess if she watches the story, she's going to find out that I went and got a, a tattoo for her on my <laughs> forearm. So just stuff like that. You know, he's, he's that type of kid. He, I'm telling you, he's a, just a, you know, most of the guys, I will say that, that Coach Ferentz and the and the program recruits are, are pretty good guys, but Tristan and, and actually A.J. Epinesa, too, the other guy that could be a first-rounder this year, they're both just, just really down-to-earth guys and, and good people and, and just, you know, guys you can have conversations with. And, and you know, at the Combine, I, I saw Tristan, and then a couple days later I came back from the Combine in Indy, and, and we walked into a basketball game together, and we were like, are you, I'm like, are you following me? He's like, are you following me? So <laughs> – he, he just—I'm telling you—he's a—he's a goofy kid, fun-loving kid, and just a—just I, I think, like I said, one of the guy, those guys that you can tell he—he he was raised right. And you can tell how important impacting other people and just being a, a good citizen and a good person means to him. So obviously, he's got a different switch on the football field, but I really think whoever drafts him this year will—it'll will, be pretty apparent early on that he's a—he's a kid that will basically do anything for everybody else and that's why he becomes a good teammate too right like he's all in for for his teammates he's all in for for everybody that um helped him along the way so just a just a cool story and a fascinating kid and obviously one that you know hopefully will have a a lengthy career in the in the league self-professed mama's boy too in fact in your video it really struck me when he said that he doesn't feel right going into a game unless he gives his mother a hug first yep getting off the bus that's the, the first shot in my story it's <laughs> he gets off the bus and he finds her and gives her a hug before it's called the hawk walk so um, when they're walking into the the stadium before the game so he finds her gives her a hug and then she says um you know she tears up when they come down the tunnel they come you know do a walkout and the crowd's going nuts and she always sees him and tries to find him and then she said she tears up every time still to this day just because just because of what it's meant to, to see him out there living his dream and and so that's I always find that to be to be pretty cool, and you know you're in a seventy thousand seat stadium, and the kid on the field knows where the mom's at, so he'll look up and she'll look down, and they'll you know kind of have their their one on one moment in a sea of seventy thousand fans. And I, I think you know you you do see that more and more uh, the longer you cover, their, especially college sports where the family's still pretty involved. Like he knows where she is every game in the same vicinity. He even said, you know, sometimes if it's a blowout or if, if the defense is out there, I'll give a peek up just to make sure she's there and we'll, you know, we'll lock eyes or we'll notice each other. So it's a cool, a cool situation. And, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if she'll quit working at Target though. That's why I didn't ask him, but I, I she's, <laughs> she doesn't strike me as one to be like, you know, all right, if Tristan gets paid and gets his contract, I, I could see her continuing to work at Target. But I do think that a new house will, will probably be in order because they're actually in the same house that they've lived in since he was, like I said, kindergarten, first grade when they moved to Mount Vernon. So I think I would assume Tristan will build his mom and sister and everybody a new house. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. You said he was a local boy through and through. So was it more or less a fait accompli that he was going to Iowa? Was there any consideration to him going anywhere else? You know, I, I think he was a um, 
a, a three-star by, you know, rivals 24-7, whatever recruiting service you want to use. So there's definitely some interest. Um, and Coach Ferentz, Kirk has said this, you know, even when talking about him last year, talking about him when we were all asking if he's going to declare. He said if, if Tristan didn't grow up in Mount Vernon, he's probably a four- or five-star guy. Like, small-town Iowa, you know, it's very rarely are – you know, Alabama, Ohio State, the Blue Bloods come and knocking on the door. And, and if he didn't camp, I don't know how much he camped, you know, and traveled around the country. But if he's the type of kid that, you know, he's still playing baseball or doing track and, you know, he only went to camp in Iowa, chances are, you know, that's where he would go, whether it was Iowa or Iowa State or even northern Iowa, you know, up in Cedar Falls. So I think it was, I'm not going to say a foregone conclusion, but, yeah, his family and, and being so um, close to campus and everything, I think – once he got that offer, it was it was pretty much locked down that he was he was going to be a hawk. Let's talk about the fact that, as you said before, he became the first true freshman to ever start right away for Kirk Ferentz's team. Now, people may not realize that Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa as the head coach for over twenty years now. He's a Bill Belichick disciple too. So this is a guy that knows his football and he came up as an offensive line coach. This is a guy that takes a special pride in understanding offensive line and coaching these guys up. So talk to me a little bit about what it means for him to become the first true freshman to ever start at offensive line, considering all of that, because that has to be a special honor for him. Yeah, I mean it's like you said, with with Kirk's pedigree um, obviously, the offensive line coach in Cleveland with Belichick, um, you know, that's kind of where he's always made his name. He was, uh, he was a line coach at Iowa beforehand, before he was a head coach out of Maine for a couple of years. But, I, you know, twofold, it was, that was, a, uh, you know, partially thrust into action because of an injury, a couple injuries that tackle, a couple senior tackles were er, injured early in that season, in his freshman season. So, um, it was partially because he was the next man up, but also partially because, you know, I think Coach Ferentz and his son, Brian, who are the offensive coordinator, you know, they they recognize the potential, right? So th- throwing a kid into that situation, 18-year-old kid, true freshman, and he's going against 23, 22-year-old seniors. I mean, that's man versus boy. But I don't think they would have done it if they didn't know how good he could be. You know, so there are more growing pains. Obviously, he's gotten a lot better in the three years he's been there. But I think it's one of those situations where Kirk's been around offensive linemen in the game so long that he probably knew, even if there were going to be some ups and downs, that that Tristan was the type of kid, both physically and mentally, that could handle that. Because it's probably as challenging physically as it is mentally, especially when you're a true freshman. The game's going fast guys are faster, you're kind of running around with your head cut off. But he slowly but surely obviously eased into it, and then he you know, didn't, didn't relinquish his spot for the, for the next three years. So, yeah, that matters, and I'm sure that came up in meetings at the Combine or, or when he talks to these teams that, you know, Kirk Ferentz has got a really good reputation and, and really good standing in the league, and he saw this confidence in you early on. So I definitely think that the tutelage of Ferentz is is another reason why they're projecting obviously him to be you know top 10ish because you put together the physical characteristics that we talked about you put together that he's a good kid 
but then you get the teaching of Kirk Ferentz. So basically you're getting an offensive line coach that's been in the NFL, that's run a great program for 21 years, and you get the tutelage hand-on-hand because when Kirk is at practice, I'll tell you firsthand from experience, he gravitates to the offensive line. Like He will go over there and help the offensive line coach and give pointers. And, And Tristan actually said that at the combine. He said, you know, this year I really had to work to improve my hand placements and getting my hands up when I set. And he said, Coach Ferentz was always yelling at me about keeping my hands up by my waistline rather than down by my side because it's that split second that's going to make the difference to get my hands inside. And he, he admitted to that. He said, that's, Coach has been on me this entire year about that and, and trying to make me a better offensive lineman. Just that little minuscule de- detail. But as you know, that that's the difference between – winning every play, winning some plays, winning no plays in the NFL is that split second where you get your hands inside, you you can control a guy, and obviously he's powerful enough where if he gets inside and gets the technique down, he's probably not letting the guy go. What's the relationship like between Werfs and Ferentz? Is there a special bond there between the two? That's a great question. Um, you know, he Tristan did, uh, what was it, going into software, he, he got suspended for a game, um, it was, I believe it was some sort of underage drinking, like he'd uh, ridden a scooter, gotten into a bar, operating while intoxicated, I believe was the actual charge. Got suspended for a game, um, hasn't had any problems since. Um, I don't know, Kirk's a hard guy to read, I'll say that. Kirk is very, as has probably been illustrated by people in the media, you know, joking about like him talking about punting. Kirk's a very, he's got a dry sense of humor and, and he's, Someone guarded, I will say, with, with the media. But lately, um, the past couple of years, he's gotten more emotional when talking about players or seniors or, or just guys. Um, so I think he – I just think he enjoys coaching a kid like that that's got potential and seeing him grow into his potential and try to maximize his potential. Um, you know, Tristan said at the Combine that he leaned on Ferentz a lot for – advice and, and how to navigate, you know, potentially declaring early. And he talked to his mom and he said he met with, I think he said he met with Kirk like three or four times and they kept talking about different scenarios and situations. And I think ultimately that relationship and that trust, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trust with, with Kirk and his players. And I think Tristan trusted that coach Ferris was being honest with him and being straight with him. And if I, you know, kind of read between the lines of, of talking to Kirk before the, the bowl game. He said, you know, we we know what's going to happen with A.J. and Tristan. Like, the draft advisory committee is going to come back. They're probably going to be rated as first-round picks. Like, the writing's on the wall there. So I, I think it's just the the best way to describe it, I would say, would be Kirk's got the trust of his players, and um, that's obviously part of the reason why he's held in such a high regard everywhere because – I think he is genuine, and he, he doesn't pull any punches. So I would say it's a, it's a trustworthy and, you know, almost, I don't want to say fatherly, but you know what I mean. Like, Kirk, Kirk really enjoys the process of coaching college kids, I think. I think that's why he never went to the NFL, and I think that's why he gets fulfillment out of a guy like Tristan, who had potential and he's achieved it, or, you know, Noah Spann, TJ Hawkinson from last year, two first-round tight ends that they really grew into their own in Iowa. I think that's that's the type of stories that, that really Kirk enjoys. 
You mentioned the arrest that he had before his sophomore season. That was for OWI operating while intoxicated. I guess that's sort of like DWI. From what I can gather, he took full ownership of that, apologized, and feels like it helped him mature. He earned the respect of his teammates for coming clean and saying that he was vowing to do better after that from everything that I've read. Is that more or less how this played out after the arrest that you talked about? Yeah, yep. I think um, it's basically, I, I unless there's been something internal that I haven't been aware of, he has not had any problems since then. And I, I think you hit it on the head that it, it was a partially immaturity, obviously lapse in judgment, but more so a 19-year-old kid that started as a freshman thinking he probably was invincible and could get away with stuff that, you know, got him arrested and got him nailed. So he definitely has owned up to it. I, I, I don't know how much that has come up in the process. Um, as you said, because he has been forthcoming and he, he took ownership of it, of it and it wasn't swept under the rug by any means. So I, I would think they maybe just, um, you know, if you're evaluating him as a general manager or you're in these meeting rooms, you're just, asking him about it just what happened what have you but um yeah i would think it's a a a moment that he's learned from and and you know you would hope a guy like that would wouldn't have that mistake again even when he's on his own in the face i want to talk a little bit about what you were talking about before with him mentally and this plays into what we just talked about too with the arrest because and i don't mean this as a slight but iowa and new york are very very different if something happens in iowa it's not necessarily as big news as if you're in New York with the Jets or the Giants and something happens. And by the way, he could end up on either one of those two teams. So if Tristan Wirfs were to come in here and something like that were to happen, or let's say he was playing poorly and all of a sudden he's on the back pages getting panned, all the media is killing him, the fans are yelling and screaming at him every game, do you think that he's somebody that's equipped to handle that kind of situation? You know, that's really interesting that you bring that up because um, just doing some work at the Combine and talking to other people, other draft experts, I I do have that reservation about them. I'll be totally honest with you. I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, because you're looking at Giants, Jets, Cleveland, Arizona, Tampa, those, you know, those five teams need some offensive line help. And I was sitting there, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he – will handle the New York situation. I, I think Iowa does a great job at, at coaching their guys and, and um, you know, making them available. Like, we talk to those guys every week during the season. It's not like they're sheltered from media attention. Um, but Iowa isn't New York. <laughs> and <laughs> Iowa isn't, you know, the fan base is, yeah, they, they're passionate about the Iowa Hawkeyes, but uh, they're also a little bit less blunt and less harsh than New Yorkers, or at least the reputation that New Yorkers have. So uh, that's an interesting thing to me. And I, like I said, I'm glad you brought it up. I don't know. I don't know because I think, obviously, when you're an NFL football player, especially um, when you're focused and, and you're uh, you know, kind of in your own little world there for nine months out of the year, I don't know if it, if it matters that much. I more think, I, I, like, criticism and the outside noise, I don't know if that matters as much as will he be comfortable wherever he lives in that area that that's the interesting thing to me like will his will he be able to settle in will he get into a routine will he be comfortable with just regardless of where he's at whether he's in new jersey in manhattan on long island wherever is he going to be comfortable in that situation because 
you know, he lived at a small town and, and now in the dorms and in Iowa City for his whole life. So I don't know. That's, that is, a, I thought about that, just seeing what teams needed offensive line help. But I, that was one thing that I, I'm sure that will come up or has come up in meetings with these teams. Like that's, you know, if a guy's comfortable at his personal life and at home, he's got less distractions, less things to worry about. He would, he would assume a guy, especially a rookie would grow and, and start to play better. But if you're not comfortable or you're, you know, annoyed, annoyed at getting to work. Even I thought about this, he got a truck, him and Epinesa both got trucks within, you know, very similar trucks. They posted, I think right around the combine and he drove his truck to Indianapolis. And I just, I thought about that. I said, well, man, he's got a truck. Is he going to, he's going to drive that to, to MetLife? Is he going to be able to, you know, just stuff <laughs> like that. We're like, I don't know. That's a, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to me that, that I think is a valid point that you bring up at the end of the day, does, does a team pass under the Giants or the Jets pass on him if he's there, especially if the Jets pass him at 11? I don't think so. Giants, maybe. Maybe they say, you know what, if we want a guy like Becton and worse, we have him graded similarly, maybe we say, you know what, we like Kai Becton's a little bit more boisterous, a little bit more you know, nasty, a little more attitude. We think he'll fit in better in New York. Maybe we take him. I, I think it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting pa- aspect to monitor when you know how thorough these draft evaluations get. It's interesting you say that because one of the knocks on him, and it's amazing that this could be a knock on somebody, but when we're talking about football, I guess it sort of is, is that he's too nice and he's not tenacious enough, and people wonder about how that will translate at the next level if he's going to be able to kick it into gear and become mean and nasty when he needs to be on the football field. Do you think that's a legitimate concern too? See, that, that I don't I know. Long story short, no. I, I think... That's kind of what actually I did my story at the comedy said a lot of teams are, you know, just asking if I can be meaner or nastier. And he's like, <laughs> he basically was like, I can try, but like, <laughs> that's not really me. And, and I, I talked to Bucky Brooks about it and he said, look, at the end of the day, you got guys that can be jerks. You got guys that can be nicest people in the world. It's what you do at the snap to the whistle that matters. And if you're productive, if you're keeping the quarterback upright and you're blowing open holes in the run game when you need to, it doesn't matter how nice or nasty you are, you know, after the whistle, on the sidelines, at home, whatever. If you're getting the job done, that's what matters. So I think that's that's kind of how I look at it that way. Like, if he's doing it on tape and doing it between the, the hash marks, I, I can't see that being – I can't see somebody passing on a guy like that in the top 10 or 15 picks saying, you know what, we just don't think he's – we got all this tape evidence. We got all this physical evidence. We just we're not sure mentally if he's nasty enough. I just I cannot believe somebody would would do that if that's a determinant grade of you know taking him or not at that that high of a pick. What a lot of people need to realize about Iowa football is that during Kirk Ferentz's tenure there, and we've talked about this before, Adam, it's been incredibly offensive line heavy, but we didn't talk about some of the great offensive linemen that have come out of there during Kirk Ferentz's tenure. Brandon Scherf would have been the most recent one, but you've got Brian Balaga, Eric Steinbach, and of course, a Joe Douglas favorite, Marshall Yanda. None of those guys started as true freshmen. The only one who did was Tristan Wirfs. If you look at guys like that and you look at Wirfs and you look at some of the great players that have come through the Iowa program and played offensive line, how do you think that Wirfs compares to some of those guys? I think he actually is a is a similar prospect to Sheriff. I really do, just mm-hmm. with 
kind of the talk of, of how, you know, eventually people might move him inside to guard. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of Sheriff came out as a tackle, same situation, and he's moved inside. So I, that would be my first comparison. Um, Yonda's a different animal. Um, <laughs> Kirk Ferentz always likes to say, um, you know, don't worry about what Yonda does during mini camps or when you're in shorts and, and helmets and in training camp. Just watch what he's doing during the drills, technical stuff, and then when he puts the pads on. So Yonda's a different animal. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, who knows? Sure, could be, but that that's a different one. But I would say of recent guys, definitely – I think Sheriff's probably the same 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 type of kid. Um, Brandon came back for a senior year, obviously, and whereas Tristan's leaving, so I don't know how much that makes a difference in in um, you know the comparison long term. But that would be my that would be my guy that comes to mind. Since you mentioned the fact that Scherf stayed for his senior year and Werfs didn't, there was a lot of debate as to whether or not Werfs was actually going to declare. In fact, at one point. All the reports indicated that he was leaning towards staying. What do you think made him change his mind and end up turning pro? Was it just the lure of the NFL and the money that it could bring? Yeah, I think that's partially it. I I do think at a certain point, a lot of these guys, you know, you ask yourself, like I was not winning a national championship next year. You know, every year, even even the Iowa year that they went to the Rose Bowl, like they're only what 15 teams 10 to 15 teams that legitimately probably have a shot to win the national title in every given year um so i think it becomes a a question of what what do i have to gain number one and you know what do i have to potentially lose and i think that's where i mean you know football is a brutal game and like one snap and he he was thrust into action as i said because a guy blew out his achilles so one snap that happens then what next year, you know? And I, I know guys can get insurance policies and stuff like that, but it, it just, to me, your, your body, that the, the, the toll that football takes on these guys uh, physically, I think that's why if, if a guy's ready and he comes back and he gets a good grade from this draft advisory committee, which I, I do think that's another aspect of this, that um, the draft advisory committee in recent years, and this is um, just from what the coaches have said to, to us uh, privately and publicly, that it's gotten a lot better. Like they're a lot more accurate with where these uh, prospects project. There's a lot more analysis. Um, There's just a lot better vetting of the process. So, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, guys were getting a first to third round grade. Well now, you know, guys are like, okay, you're going to be, you're, you're evaluated as a first round pick and it's pretty, pretty dang close. They're, they're, they're pretty good about it. So um, that combination of, you know, what do you have to gain by coming back next year and um, kind of your finite amount of, of uh, your career at the next level, whether it's getting to the second contract or, or what have you, that, that I think influences guys a lot more. Um, even uh, the last two years that I was at safety's come out of Monty Hooker, who's with the Titans and now Geno Stone, both really good players. Um, you know, Hooker, a fourth round pick, Geno Stone will probably be a, an early day three pick as well they're in the same boat. Like what do they have to gain by coming back? Are they ever, are they ever physically going to be, you know, first round pick? Probably not. Are they going to even be a second day pick? Maybe, but the, the uh, opportunity cost of coming back getting hurt, even having a bad year on tape, if the team's not as good, that all, that all has to factor into it. So for a guy like Worf, I think once, once he got to the point where 
he was told he was going to be a likely first round pick. I, I think that's when it probably set in that, you know, I, I can't leave this on the table this year and come back where I, I don't, I don't know, you know, Sheriff was an interesting case too, because he's another small town, Iowa kid. I don't know if, you know, maybe he felt, maybe he was from a different financial situation. I don't know. I don't know as much of, of his background in making that decision, but I definitely think, you know, that, that factored in a little bit too, that it would be nice to, you know, reward his mom and his family for all these years of, of dedication and hard work. So there's all those factors that go into it. But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think once he got the information from the draft advisor committee that, that it was too much in question. How adaptable do you think he is in terms of doing what the coaches need him to do? In other words, if he gets in here with the Jets and they say, you know what, we think you'd be best served to play right tackle this season, great, coach, sign me up. Or if they say, no, we want you to try out left tackle or they want to move him to guard, do you think that he's somebody that would be able to go with the flow like that and be able to play well at any of those positions? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. For sure, the tackle position. He first flopped a little bit this year when when Alaric Jackson was injured for two and a half games or so. I think that's that's a no brainer. Playing inside, he he's admitted. I think he's only taken. He said ever, even in high school, he's never really taken more than a couple snaps at guard. Um, so there might be more of a learning curve there. I do think, um, like we talked about before, coming from a place like Iowa where they they want guys to learn the concepts of the entire position group, whether that's a receiver, whether that's offensive line, whether it's, um, you know, cornerback, they want to know, they want to know how everything fits in. So I think he does have the background and the, and the knowledge base to pick up um, the guard position if needed. But I would think with his, the athleticism that he showed, I would think whoever drafts him is going to give him a shot for sure at right tackle to begin with. And then, you know, see how it goes from there. I, I would be surprised if somebody, evaluates him as a straight-up guard at the beginning because I, I just think when you – that type of power and athleticism, you've got to see what you what you have. Um, and so if it turns out, you know, if if he's not as effective in, in pass protection on the edge as they thought he was, they can always move him inside. But I would think as a rookie, he'll get, he'll get all the chances he needs to play either right or left tackle depending on, depending on the need. Adam, where do you think he ultimately ends up, if you had a guess, and where do you think he'd be the best fit? You know, I I don't know why I think position wise, I think he'll be fine at tackle. I really do. And, and I know the the NFL edge rushers and guys like you know, Rod Vaughn Miller coming off the edge, he will obviously need to to make some adjustments and, and you know, one knock that I've read is that he, you know, comes out and, and, and sets too quickly on the edge so he leaves himself vulnerable to inside moves. Well, he, he, he can work on that. I think when you have his hip flexibility, his hip power, his footwork, the total package of athleticism, I, I think to me he's a tackle. Maybe not a left tackle, but I think he's a he's a, a bona fide right tackle in the NFL. Team wise, I I don't know. I, I initially thought Cleveland before the Conklin signing, just because um, you know, Stefanski likes to get his linemen moving and and obviously he um with Kubiak's influence last year, you know, guys get out in his own block and go if he brings that type of system into Cleveland. I, I that that to me was my initial hunch. I, I you know I've seen the Giants, like you said, I've seen the Cardinals, the Jets. I I I just think 
it, it's going to be interesting who goes first because I, I think it's between him and Beckton. I really do. Um, and you know, you just know with, with Gettleman, you you never know with Gettleman. I I could see Gettleman <laughs> going defense, in which case, you know, who knows, right? I I just <laughs> I, I would bet he's off the board. If he's off the board. Um, if he's on the board after you guys, I'd be shocked, right? I think if he gets to 11, you take him in a heartbeat, right? Because it, just of, of at that point, the value, the best player available um, scenario there for, for the Jets. So I don't think he goes – like I wouldn't entertain him at Tampa at 14. I, I just – I think he's he's a top 11 or, or inside that, just depending on if, if Becton is higher evaluated internally. Um, he's obviously Becton's a little bit bigger, and Becton's a sure tackle at what six seven three seven, you know whatever it is. Um, so I get that if you're purely looking for a tackle, but you know position versatility in the NFL is is the name of the game right now. Whether it's a guy that can stand up and rush off the edge, or put his hand in the dirt and play against the run, or whether it's a guy like Worth that you know if he needs to play, learn right and left tackle, slide in the left um, tackle if there's an injury, play left guard if there's. Just being able to be kind of that swing player, um, I think that has staying power, and I think that's that's definitely um, something that coming out of Iowa, I think he'll bring to a team as well. I think we can sit here and debate who the best of the four tackles is. We could debate what the order should be in terms of where they're drafted. We could debate where they'd be the best fit. We could debate where they're going to go. But one thing that I think you've settled for us today, Adam, is that the Jets would be absolutely lucky to have not just the player, but the man, Tristan Wirfs. Adam Rosso, local reporter for CBS Iowa and also for Hawkeye HQ, covering the Iowa Hawkeyes. Thank you so much for coming on and talking all about Tristan Wirfs. I feel like we have such a clear picture of what he's all about as a human being now on top of the film that we're going to talk about with Joe Blewett. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your experiences covering Tristan Wirfs in Iowa. For those that haven't seen your work yet, and I can't stress enough how much you need to check out Adam's work, especially the video feature about him and his mom. It's incredible. Go ahead and let everybody know how they can get in touch with you on social media and how they can check out your work. Yep, my handle on uh, both Facebook and Twitter, but I'm definitely more active on Twitter, is at Adam J. Rosso, so it's A-D-A-M-J. R O S S O W. I've got a pin to my page right now. Like I appreciate uh, Scott, you putting all the accolades on it. But yeah, it was a great story to do. It's it pinned up there. It'll be up there definitely through the draft because just to to have it on there and kind of give Tristan's background. And then our 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 brand, our company brand is HawkeyeHQ.com. So it's Hawkeye headquarters. And we you know go to every game, cover the guys year round, and do uh, do as much as we can here leading up to the draft. As much as we can get done with with everything going on right now, but it should be fun. Hopefully, like we said, a nice distraction here at the end of April to, to get us all ready and back into, into football mode. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We've gotten to know Tristan Wirfs, the person. Now let's dissect his film with the host of Blewett's Blitz over at JetsXFactor.com, Mr. Joe Blewett. And Joe, let's start with Tristan Wirfs in the run game. What did you see when you took a look at his tape? Because here's a guy, and we're going to talk about this as we go through this review, whose athleticism is absolutely incredible. Now, Mekhi Becton is a terrific uh-huh. athlete for his size, but I think that Tristan Wirfs 
is the most athletic tackle in this draft class. And I think that Tristan Wirfs is one of the best pure athletes overall in this draft class. When you look at the fact that he was a four-sport athlete, he was a stud in wrestling, a state champion. Obviously, we know what he could do in football. He was an excellent baseball player, and he was a great discus thrower in track. This is a guy that could lay on his kitchen floor and do a kip-up at over 300 pounds. So you know what he can do athletically. How did that translate to the run game? Talk to me about the positives and negatives. Uh, yeah, you, it's, it's and I, I was putting down in my notes that I don't think I've ever listed down before um, in terms of his strengths, that, that he's, he's still balanced while off balance in the run game, <laughs> um, which sounds super odd, but it's, it's true because of his wrestling background where even if he's bending through the waist or, you know, he gets torqued or, or, you know, his feet are off balance or whatever it may be, his ability to like work through contact off balance um, through the, the, the strength and, you know, in, in his core um, and his midsection is, is, it's absurd. So he can recover even when he's beat with his upper body because of, whatever it may be. So the wrestling background definitely comes into effect with that. Um, the overall just flexibility he has, we saw him absolutely light up the combine. I don't have the combine numbers in front of me, but he said like new records and, and was a top performer for, for pretty much everything in the offensive line. And it, and it shows up in his tape. Um, like he said, you know, great body build, uh, six, five, three, uh, three twenty, thirty four 34 inch arms, which are long enough arms. Um, the, the the zone blocking ability, like I said, with that athleticism, would fit really well into the Jets uh, team. Uh, what I just mentioned with a strong core, upper body, uh, showed up a ton. Um, smooth feet. He plays with his hands on guard. Uh, I think he's a good punch in in the run game. The flexibility and balance he has. Uh, he is a mauler in the run game. Really, really likes to hammer guys to the turf. I feel like that's that's obviously a, a, a theme with all four tackles. Is they're all really physical guys who like to hit guys. Uh, tough mindset. Great athlete overall. Like we said. Um, he moves well in space because of that great athleticism. He, uh, athleticism. he takes good angles. Um, his lateral ability to to stop and start um, when adjusting to linebackers who are trying to get away from him in the second level is is really good. Um, now for the for the negatives and you know of the run game, I think he plays a little bit on his toes. Where like I said, he's not off balance when he's off balance, which makes no sense at all, but it does to me. Um, <laughs> I, I would still like to see him get in that position less because, you know, NFL defenders will be able to take advantage of that. Uh, I think it happens that he, play, he plays on his toes a little bit in, in the run game and he, and he comes in a little bit out of control um, at times or just like back then, I like to see him square up a little bit more. It's, it's, it's trying with these two guys that they do come into second level um, a little bit out of, out of control. Um, his hands can punch him a little bit wide in the run game. It doesn't show up a ton. Uh, but the other thing, the other two things um, in the run game that I marked down as, as negatives were that he punches wide, so you see him get his chest controlled a little bit too much for me. Um, where you have a little bit more flexibility in the run game to shoot wide, you don't want to do it all the time. But with the run game, you especially working up to the second level, when you have you know 40, 50, 60 pounds in the guy, you have some more ability to shoot wide because it's more of like containment punches where you don't want them to work laterally because you know they're not going to necessarily work through you in your chest. Um, to blow you up, even though they might stack you through your chest and then drop their weight, you know, uh, pull their hips back and, and pull you to the ground and shed you. But you have a little bit more flexibility to do it in the run game with the wide punches, but still it shows up a little bit too much for me. And then uh, with being off balance, like I said, coming in out of control um, in the in the run game, it, it, it's for the fact he plays a little bit top heavy and he doesn't bring his feet with him into the block where, where you see him 
you know, pop lock a little bit where he's leaning a lot with his upper body where um, you can see him getting pulled to the ground or, or jerked off balance, you know, in the run game because he's, he doesn't have a great base and he's working up to that second level. So um, I, I think he's, he has pretty solid technique um, in a lot of different areas, but there's a few areas, like I said, with the run game right there, the ones that I mentioned that show up too consistently. So he might have like, uh, you know, 10 positive traits in the run game, but the three in the run game show up a, a lot. So um, he's good technically in a lot of areas, but there's, there's some that are not just like that are actually really bad. So um, he needs some work in that, in that aspect of his game. Let's talk about his pass protection. Overall, I was pretty impressed. One thing that I thought was a bit of a detriment is that sometimes he tends to look a little confused, particularly on stunts. Sometimes he looked to be a little out of place and not entirely sure what was going on. Is that what you saw? Did you see a guy that's generally a really good pass protector with a high ceiling but who has some flaws in his game still? Yeah, I, I think he's okay with his awareness and stunts. I, wouldn't, I, I didn't necessarily mark it down um, as, as a weakness. Um, now with his with his pass sets, the 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 good that we talked about, you know, is obviously the body build comes into that. The lateral quickness that he has to be able to to recover inside, uh, the strong core and upper body works for you know both the run game and the and the in the pass game. Um, I think he has a quick pass set, uh, even though he doesn't cover a lot of ground with that first step. I like to see him cover some more ground with that first step, create some distance. Uh, I think he has quick feet. He has smooth feet. He plays with his hands on guard, so he's he's ready for. Uh, for punches, I think he's a quick and accurate punch, which is good. Which is good. He works to reset his hands. I think he plays with relatively good angles and, and pass sets. Um, the flexibility helps him with with pass sets and recovering things like that. Dropping his post, um, dropping the post. You know, obviously, if you're, you know, let's say he's a right tackle, he's kicking out with the kick with the kick foot to the with the uh, with the right. Uh, the post foot to the left. If he's going to get beat inside, you know, he'll he'll drop his post foot on um, the left foot to flip his hips inside and and recover on that block. Um, he's a good anchor. Um, I think he's a good base in, in his kick slide, so that's a positive. The lateral stop start, like I said, the run game also helps with the with the pass game. Um, now, with the pass game, I, to me, and some people don't necessarily agree, agree with this, I, I saw some oversteps with him. I saw some times where when he punches with that left hand, he opens his hips up a little bit too too wide. Uh, he doesn't cover a lot of ground with that first pass, with that first, uh, you know, with that first step in the run game. And I think for, for me, like I said, and, you know, uh, I think I watched, uh, I think I've shared some, some things with a cover one who's a Bills guy. And we had some different views on uh, Tristan Wirfs. And to me, I, I saw some, you know, big steps in, in the, in the, in the past game. And I think some of the, the, uh, the small steps like that, that small step I'm talking about him getting out of his stance. It doesn't cover a lot of ground. I think he has to make up for it. Um, and that leads to him opening his hips up a, a little bit. So um, there are some times where his feet are really smooth, but then I also see some times where his where he's taking too big of steps, um, which leads to him, you know, being off balance. Where you want to have, you know, even steps. You you want to, you know, when you're in your kick slide, you want basically, let's say you're in your base, you want that that front foot following that that kick foot and almost coming like you know split right down your between your legs. Um, instead of like coming and, and clicking heels, and I thought he clicked heels a little bit too much for me um, when I watched him in, in, in pass sets. So I think he could fix up on his pass sets, where some people don't see, you know, necessarily agree that that's a weakness. I, I think it leads to him being a little bit off balance. Um, so I, I want to see him more more consistent with his footwork, even though they could be smooth and they and, and they could be fast. Um, needs to cover more ground and, and have a better stance to explode out of with that first step. 
Um, now, I don't know if that's how he was necessarily coached, that he doesn't cover a lot of ground on that first step or, or, or not, even though I would probably tend to say that that's how he's coached because with his explosion and, and his athleticism, I don't think that he's not able to cover a lot of ground that, that, with that first step because he loads up in his stance. He just doesn't go very far. Um, so I'd like to see him change up on that. I already mentioned his, his, uh, him opening his gate with his punch where um, he doesn't maintain uh, the framing of the outside linebacker defensive end when he punches where he'll, he will open up the inside, leaving the B-gap vulnerable. Um, so he has some things to work on. I don't think he's as technically fine as some people think he is overall. Like I said, a lot of, a lot of uh, pluses in a lot of areas, but there's some that are just, that are just too big of negatives for me. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't draft him or anything like that. He, you know, just to give it out, he's my OT two. Um, he's not my one. He's not my four or anything like that, but he's still the second best offensive tackle for me for the jets and kind of my big board overall, but you definitely fit really, really well into what they're doing. And, you know, inside zone, tight zone, wide zone, outside zone, they mix it up a lot um, last year. And I think you fit really, really well into that. But he definitely has a lot of key areas he needs uh, refinement on. But like it's, like you said, with Becton, they're different type of athletes, but he's another just absolute freak as well. I see Werfs of the four tackles as number three in technique and number two in upside in ceiling. Would you say that that's fair, that he's the second highest ceiling after Becton, but also the third in technique after Wills and Thomas? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I So for for me, um, that's an interesting question. Like, who is the best of what? I, Becton's the worst in technique. Um, Worfs is the third. Is I, I let's just do let's just do one to four because <laughs> I'm not doing four to one now. I'll just confuse myself. Um, I think Wills has the best technique. I think I think that Thomas has the second best. I think Worfs is the third best. Um, and obviously Beckton is the fourth. Now, in terms of just being an absolute freak, I think Beckton's the one. I think that Worfs is two. I think that Wills is three. Uh, and Thomas is four. So they all have you know areas that they that they each offer um differently but um they're all really good you know athletes I, I, you know thomas isn't the best athlete but he's still not a bad athlete I, I i just think that and there's a reason that going into the last college season he was the number one tackle but i think when you're watching freaks um of nature like becton like you know worse even like wills who i think is a little bit underrated athletically because he is strong as a freaking ox too and his technique is good so he doesn't he needs some work. Obviously, he's not a finished product, but Wills is just amazing to me. Uh, I popped on his tape first. I was like, damn. And I, I think I might have texted you this. I usually text you when I'm doing my, my film stuff, but I was saying that Wills is really, really good. And I watched him, and he popped. I was like, I, don't, I, I severely doubt that anybody's going to be, you know, uh, you know, becoming OT1 to me over Wills, and that's how it ended up for me. Um, but they're, th- those top three guys, with, with in terms of their athleticism, with Wills, Wurfs, and Becton, they're, they're, all, they're all freaks. Um, in different type of ways, but um, Werfs finishes as as my two. One thing I noticed with Werfs, and it's interesting to think about, is that his wrestling seemed to help him a lot. You could tell from the way he blocked that there were wrestling tendencies in him. John Madden years ago once said that he could take any really good wrestler and turn him into a good lineman, and we know that Carlton Hasselrig, who played very briefly for the Jets, became an all-pro in Pittsburgh despite never playing college football. So when you watched Werfs, did you see a lot of that wrestling in what he did? 
and what do you think it could do for him at the next level? Because I know that it sounds crazy, but I think that it could really help him at the next level if he refines his technique. That base instinct to go toe-to-toe from a yeah, wrestling yeah. standpoint will help him a lot. Yeah, like I said, just the, just the ability, because <laughs> no matter what position in the NFL, you're going to be all balanced because people are going to beat you with technique and things like that. And just, you know, if you're wrong the littlest bit, um, they're then the other the guy you're going against being you know technically refined um, plus their power they're all strong as bulls it could throw you off balance like I said the the ability for him to work back from being off balance um, is, is is definitely evident uh, from from wrestling where you're in wrestling you're thrown into a ton of weird positions you have to work out of positions that you're not necessarily comfortable in or on balance or, or, or you know being being balanced and so. Um, it shows up a lot. I, I think it shows it, it could definitely work itself out um, in a zone scheme where you have a lot of, you know, reach blocks and things like that where you're trying to cut guys off. And, you know, initially, as soon as you get into the block, you might not necessarily be balanced, but you have to work yourself into a position, work your hips, work your feet into a position um, where they are balanced. So I think with a zone scheme, he, he fit really, really well in having to get in front of guys um, and, and using leverage while you're moving laterally. And I think that kind of uh, shows through his wrestling background. And I also think he has you know, strong hands. And that shows through through his wrestling where, um, you know, obviously wrestling, you have to grab guys, you have to, you have to pin them, but it's, you, you, have to, you definitely have to have strong hands. Um, and he has that ability um, where it kind of aids that, that off-balance, the balance-ness that I talk about where he can have his hands on you and he can work that as a, as a pivot point, um, as kind of a, a reset where – so he'll grab you and work himself back to balance where if he's not able to grab you and hold on, then it's going to be a little bit harder. So some of the things definitely show up with, with just his flexibility and his hips with his ability to fight from being off balance with his, with his grip strength and the run game and things like that. So um, it shows up and that's why guys like, and, and coaches will tell players um, to play multiple sports because you develop things, you know, uh, like wide receivers and basketball. If you're playing basketball and you're crossing guys over, what do you think crossing over helps with wide receivers, you know, press releases and things like that and fighting past jams, fighting past hands. Um, so coaches like guys who play multiple sports and, and, and worse. He's a guy who puts the emphasis on that. He, he kind of exemplifies that, that point of um, wanting guys to be multiple sport type of athletes because it, it aids you um, in your football game. So, uh, he shows that consistently and, and it definitely helps him. And that's why you hear a lot of guys, you know, say that. And I agree with them that the wrestling really shows up um, overall in, in his, in his football games. There have been a lot of chatter around the senior bowl. And then we heard a little bit again at the beginning of the combine, but after the combine itself, people backed off of this with Tristan Wirfs, but there was some talk that Wirfs could be a guard at the NFL level and not a tackle. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Wirfs would be an awesome guard, but I think he's more than capable of being an awesome tackle too. What do you think about this? I think he could play both, but there's no reason why you wouldn't play him at the more important position. Do you see it that way as well? Yeah, I had, I honestly, I have no idea where that comes from. Usually it's because, you know, maybe a guy doesn't have as good a feed. He doesn't have as good, you know, technique, which like I said, you know, worse needs technical refinement in some areas, but it's not bad enough where I'm going to say, okay, throw him in the, into guard. But like I said, usually it's with guys who are super powerful without great technique, but uh, worse is a absurd athlete. Like we, we saw this testing numbers. I, you know, I, I, I'll, I will show in my review that he has, 
you know, uh, quick feet, even though he needs to refine about how he uses his feet a little bit. So um, I never got that at all. And and I heard that before I watched it. I was like, okay, maybe I'll see something that people are, this is the reason that people are thinking this. And I didn't see anything about that. Or um, I I think there's a reach to say that. I don't know who started that, but typically what happens in the media, um, if a guy has a lot of followers, even if they don't know what they're watching, they'll say something. And then then another 100,000 followers, will spread that to another 100,000 people. And then those 200,000 spread it to a million. Like, you know, it's, so it works like that. So I don't know where that started from, to be completely honest, but um, I, I don't agree with it. He, he has the, he has the athleticism to play tackle. And like you said, um, it's a more important position um, for me, you know, depending on the quarterback's blind side, you know, if, if it's obviously, you know, most of the quarterbacks who are righty, um, it's, it, you know, in order for me in the offensive line, um, I would say left tackle, right tackle, center, left guard, right guard. Um, and I think, you know, either guard spot are pretty much, you know, interchangeable where the left guard probably pulls a little bit more than the, than the, um, right guard, but the right guard also might have to face, you know, some more power against him because he's typically on the strong side. Uh, teams like to run to the right side. I don't know if that's necessarily true, you know, uh, now I know a couple of years ago it was, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't get the whole tackle to guard thing for, really any of these guys. I know I think they were saying that, that about Wills too, which I think it's such a reach to say that. I don't, I don't understand why or, or get it to be completely honest. I don't really have a good um, explanation for why people, people think that I think it's just flat out wrong. What do you think about the coaching staff working with Werfs? I know that I asked you about this with Becton, but do you have any reservations about their ability to bring out the best in Werfs? And also how do you think he fits in the current system, do you think he would be a smooth fit? Because I know that you were a little bit nervous about how Becton would fit right off the bat because of the way that his strengths seem tailored to a different system. Do you think that's the same with Tristan Wirfs, or do you think it would be a better fit? Yeah, I think Wirfs is a better fit. Like I said, Becton can move, but I still think he's better in a power gap scheme um, type deal where Wirfs, I think he could play any. Um, but I think he's the best in, in, in a zone scheme um, because of just how damn athletically uh, athletic he is from his acceleration to his top end speed to, you know, his lateral athleticism from all of that stuff, which you really want in zone zone. You want more of the, and all of the systems you want smart guys, but uh, zone simply is you want, you want the athleticism um, that whereas power, you want power. Uh, the, the more, the more wide the zone scheme gets, the more athleticism you want versus less powers. Where if it's inside zone, you want an even balance. Where, um, you know, if it's if it's wide zone, you want more athleticism than power. Obviously, a combination of both is great. But um, will or works is a guy who fits in either of those. He's a guy who he will absolutely stonewall you. He will throw you into the turf. He will, you know, uh, drop the hammer or the plow. We like people uh, people like to call it. Um, he does all of those those things where he has the power. Um, but he also has the ridiculous athleticism as he showed, um, you know, in the, in the combine and a guy like Pollock, who is a primarily zone guy um, would help a guy who fits in another zone scheme. So zone coach with a zone player, uh, I, I think it's a perfect fit. Like I said, uh, worse is good in a lot of areas technically, but he still has some work um, in, in a few key areas. And I think if Frank Pollock can really sit down with him uh, or work with him on the practice field, and get those four, five, six things that he really needs to get hammered out of his game. Um, he could be an, an elite player, uh, like I said, different freak athlete than Beckton, but still a, a freak athlete who would be a perfect fit 
um, in his own scheme under his own coach in, in Pollock. So uh, if they were to get him at 11, I would be very, very excited um, for the Jets because uh, I think he will work out really, really well for, for both sides. Joe, I think that Tristan Wirf's ceiling could be somebody like Lane Johnson, a really athletic tackle who's turned into one of the best offensive linemen in the league for a really long time. Is that where you're at with Tristan Wirfs? Yeah, out of like the 32 top tackle type candidates, uh, I would say that's probably the, the best comparison because Lane Johnson's a guy um, who's pretty technically refined, a really, really good athlete, but will still bury guys. Um, where you're looking at the top, like, you know, guys, other top tackles in the league, like Bakhtiari or Whitworth or Schwartz or whoever it may be, you know, Tyron Smith, where they're, they're a little bit more of like power type guys. Where, where Tyron Smith is a freak of, of nature with both things, to be completely honest. But um, I think with a combination of athleticism plus power plus technique, um, plus like lateral agility to be able to, to reach in zone and, and get out to the second level in zone and things like that. I think if you had to make one comparison to a guy currently NFL, um, it probably would be Lane Johnson. And if the Jets get Lane Johnson out of, out of worse <laughs> at 11, I'll be absolutely ecstatic. If he, if you can guarantee he's going to be Lane Johnson um, or, you know, in a couple of years, or whatever, uh, trade up for him, you know, because the Jets need that right now. So, um, I think that's a good comparison. Obviously, he has a lot of work to, to become one of the top offensive tackles in the league, like Elaine Johnson is. Um, but I think it's a it's a relatively close uh, comparison of player. When we talked about Makai Becton, you said that you thought his floor was shaky to okay starter. What do you think the floor is for Tristan Wirfs? I think it's I think it's higher um, than Becton because. Uh, I think even if he doesn't clean up the technical things that he needs to, he will still be okay. Um, where I think, you know, I think with Beckton, I said a, a, a bad starter, which is different than a bad backup. Um, I think he's already technically responding up to with his athleticism and power that he will be just an okay, an okay starter, maybe slightly below average. Um, whereas Beckton, I think, could be bad. Um, even though I would necessarily wouldn't bank on that. You know, there's, a, there's a reason we say floor over ceiling and things like that. So, um, with a guy in, in worse, I, I think it's an average type level tackle where his ceiling is that Lane Johnson type player, uh, top three, top five tackle. Because uh, if you are able to fix those few technical things, like I said a lot to this podcast, paired with what he already offers um, in technique, plus his athleticism, both in power and and his athleticism in terms of like movement skills, um, he could be really, really, really legit. So um, it's exciting, but I just I think his floor is, is higher just because of what he already showed to me in college. Joe, Iowa has a storied history of producing really, really good offensive linemen, especially during the Kirk Ferentz era. And I talked about this with Adam Rosso. Just in recent years, names like Brian Balaga, Eric Steinbach, Brandon Scherf, Marshall Yonda is obviously the gold standard, but these are all guys that came through Kirk uh-huh. Ferentz's system and who were able to pass muster through his offensive line. Tristan Wirfs became the first true freshman in the 20-plus year history of Kirk Ferentz as head coach at Iowa to be a starter right off the bat. How do you think that Wirfs' potential stacks up to the guys that I just listed? Obviously, not all of them play the same position because we know that Yonda is a guard, but Yonda is going to go to the Hall of Fame one day. We know that Balaga is a really good player, and Brandon Scherf turned into a really good guard in the NFL. What do you think? How does he stack up there? Yeah, I think you see 
uh, the similarity with all of those guys were obviously all, you know, different players, but they all offer kind of a similar mindset in terms of hammering guys in the pass game and in the run game, burying guys and all are pretty refined technically, which is a, you know, owed to how good that offensive line coach has been at Iowa, which if you look at college programs, like Iowa's like offensive line haven. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to pick, you know, if you're going to pick between two guards or tackles and one's from Iowa and one's from, you know, Kentucky or even Bama, like you're probably going to pick the guy from Iowa or like a Wisconsin type guys, like those Midwest type guys. Um, but Iowa is the, is the definition, you know, of that um, tough mindset, technically refined guys who um, seem to all be like good character, good locker room guys. It seems like they, they produce not only good players, but, but good men there. Um, so that's another positive, uh, you know, in terms of things you hear about worse and how good of a guy he is, which obviously blends well into a locker room with 53 other guys. You don't want, you know, excuse my French, but a douche walking in there and, and, uh, you know, uh, kind of, um, you know, ruining the chemistry of the offensive line or the locker room, whatever it may be. So, um, I, I think he stacks up well to those guys. Obviously, like you said, some of them play different positions. Some of them offer different things and some might be more athletic, um, to where some might be more powerful. Um, but you could, you, you know, I think you see that Iowa mindset come out of him in, in his game and it's a good, uh, bloodline type deal to, to come through. And I think it points to, to future success in the NFL, at least in my opinion. A very interesting prospect and a player that I think we both agree the Jets would be very lucky to have, whether it's at 11 or even trading up. Who knows? I don't think that Joe Douglas is going to trade up, but you never know. If somebody that he really likes slides a little bit, it's possible that he gets a little frisky here. Joe Blewett, the host of Blewett's Blitz over at JetsXFactor.com. He's got video up of his review on Tristan Wirfs. He's also got other draft prospects, and he's got a ton of... On the guys that the Jets just signed in free agency It's all over at JetsXFactor.com So Joe, what do you got cooking? Yeah, uh, like you said with the with the draft guys We try, we kind of transitioned from free agency like, Where like you said, we you know I, I have guys like Desir and Perryman And uh, Sant and Connor McGovern up um, So we're getting through a lot of the draft guys right now With the receivers, got all those guys uh, coming up Working through the offensive linemen now Got uh, Chase on coming, so um, it's a, they're all really in-depth reviews where I'm not just, you know, the podcast is a good place to get a 25, 30, 40, 45, 50 minute discussion on the guy in terms of his technical, um, aspect of his game and what he struggles with, et cetera. But I think in, you know, if you really want to learn about a player, um, you know, come to the YouTube, type in blue, it's blitz to listen to the podcast where you can see me go through play by play. When you hear me talk about, oh, that core strength or, oh, he oversets or his footwork is a little bit. Um, too large in between certain steps and it, and it opens up his hips you can come and I can point that out to you so you kind of know I'm not just you know, bullcrapping people and you can see it or maybe if you see it, you can even disagree with me but um, come to the YouTube show and, and watch I think I think it's worth, worth your time especially you know maybe you say that you know you don't think the Jets will get worse because he falls uh, or he doesn't fall and then the Jets pick him you can always go back and look up blue splits you know the good thing about film is it's not a storyline based show so um, the film always stands so um, I, I think it's worthwhile for people to check out for sure. I always tell people I almost didn't do a show on Sam Darnold leading up to the draft because I thought there was no way he would be there when the Jets picked at three. 
You just never know. Anything can happen. Like I said, Joe Douglas could even potentially trade up if he really wants to. So it's worth learning about all four of these tackles. And Joe is breaking them down at JetsXFactor.com and on YouTube. Blue It's Blitz. Make sure you're following him on Twitter also at JoeRB31. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it's a big help to us. So if you could do that, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.